It's a Ron Essler, but yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, just technically, I stole the name from some other kid, so he might still exist somewhere. Theoretically, theoretically, but it's one of those. If it came down to a toss-up between you and him, I think at this point you are the Ron Essler. I'll take it, but yeah. All right. <laughs> So are we recording? We are recording. Okay. Dave! Exclamation mark. Well, the weekly updates are back. The Monday reports are coming in, and it's the first Thursday of the month. Must be time for the final please hold for Dave Sim. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that um, we're not going to be doing these anymore, but uh, um, it's uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's it's the final please hold for Dave Sim, and we begin with one of us remembering Styler. You question mark? Me question mark? Uh, where's the ringer when we need him? Actually, it's my turn okay. um, to remember Jeff Styler. So uh, so that lets you off the hook. And uh, I think. Uh, um, have we talked about uh, uh, his Kansas City Royal book? A little bit, off and on. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those things that keeps sticking in my mind of um, um, at, the, at, the, at, uh, at the absolute end of, uh, of Jeff Tyler's life. That would have been a major concern of his was uh, what was going to happen to that book. Uh, I forget I forget what the actual book was. It was like an annual or a yearbook or uh, uh, the definitive uh, history of the Kansas City Royals. And uh, Jeff took it into his head to um, get uh, an autograph from everybody whose name appeared in the book. Um, even to the extent of, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Rush Limbaugh was mentioned by somebody uh, in this Kansas City Royal book. And Jeff actually went to wherever Rush Limbaugh is was and uh, explained to, uh, to the receptionist uh, what it is that, uh, that he was there for and, and was hoping to get. And um, uh, she went to wherever Rush Limbaugh was and explained the whole thing to him. And uh, he, uh, he agreed to sign it and he signed the book, but uh, Jeff didn't get to meet him. And he said that uh, that was one of the few people that, who autographed the book and um, um, that, that he didn't actually get to, get to meet in, per in person. And uh, uh, word spread about this book, I guess, through the through the Royals or organization and through Major League Baseball. And uh, I think that uh, the Royals themselves were interested in having it for their archive. And there was some talk about uh, Cooperstown, where the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame is, that uh, he was. Uh, uh, they, they were interested because uh, uh, he really
really put in the time and the legwork, uh, getting getting as many autographs as he could. And then uh, the the last uh, the last year that he was uh, he was alive, just before COVID nineteen hit, um, he went to um, uh, Kansas City's Royals um, uh, training camp, and uh, I think he got uh, got a bunch of autographs there as well. So it's one of those, uh, if you've got something like that, um, obviously, you know, he could have sold it when he was alive and made a lot of money off of it, but it was one of those, no, this is, this is one of the last things that, uh, that Jeff Seiler is, uh, uh, would, would think about selling. But uh, once he wasn't here, then uh, I think uh, he was definitely looking for it to have a good, uh, a good major league baseball home and not knowing what happened with, uh, with the Jeff Tyler estate per se. Uh, I'm hoping that the, the, uh, Kansas city Royal book at, at least still exists. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it exists and I'm hoping that somebody knew what it was and it didn't just end up in the Goodwill pile. Yes. Yes. So uh, that's that's my Jeff Seiler story in terms of you know at the at the tag end of his life um, that you know uh, you'd have to pry that book out of his cold dead fingers and I know he had a lot of he had a lot of other stuff he had like autographed baseballs and and things like that and at one time he was talking about uh, me coming there um, after he died. Uh, whenever that was going to take place, and we didn't know that it was imminent, and uh, that I would be, uh, uh, I, I would, I would be uh, attuned to that in terms of, uh, even if I don't know what this is, it's definitely got collectible written all over it. So, uh, you know, something, something different is going to have to be done with this, apart from, well, just give it to the goodwill and. Uh, and and we'll call it a day and you know had to uh phone jeff and say well you know this this COVID 19 thing um they've shut the border and it doesn't sound like they're going to be opening the border so uh but please don't die right now and please don't die until uh until they do have the uh the border open again and then that went on for so long uh, my passport expired and it's like uh i'm not gonna Go, uh, go in the middle of the, the great crush to, uh, to get traveling again in Canada and uh, uh, get myself a new passport. So uh, unfortunately, Jeff, you're, you're going to be on your own in this one. So that's my, my Jeff Styler story. Uh, you, you faxed through uh, then something Steve Peters sent in last month at the last minute. Uh, and I guess uh, Steve wrote, check out Barry's comment on the picture. Uh, Ron Esler should share it with Dave on Please Hold. I'm sure it's good for a chuckle. Uh, and then uh, it, uh, fill me in on this. It looks like it's the pencil uh, Conan number 16 cover. And uh, uh, Barry, I guess, uh, weighed in on this when uh, Mike Dubish and 
Hunter and Peterson uh, were talking about it. And uh, uh, Steve Peters is saying that there's a comment written on the cover by, by Barry. No, no, no. In, in the comments where they're weighing in, it's, it's Barry's comment to them. Right. That, that's, and, what, that's what Steve's talking about. Oh, okay. And uh, Barry's saying it wasn't the printer who was complaining, it was the fool at the Comics Code Authority. I wrote him a note asking how many women he knew who had pubic hair on their knee. Um, so, uh, what what was it that, that that they were complaining about? It's the it's the Frost Giant's daughter story, which was in Savage Tales in black and white uh, first, and was um, a little more risque uh, visually. And then, uh, uh, of course, Barry was having a hell of a time trying to stick to uh, uh, to the publishing schedule on Conan. So I think somebody got the idea. Well, we'll we'll reprint Ross Giant's daughter uh, in the comic book version, but the comic book version has to go to the, uh, the Comics Code Authority. So there was a little too much uh, daughter showing. <laughs> For uh, for the comics cup is is what I that's the part of the story that I understand. The what I understand the actual image it's somebody owned the original pencils and must have sold it and somebody else got a hold of it and decided oh it would look better if we put all the trade dress on it and you'll make it look like a cover so that image it's the original pencils have been inked if I remember right. Or, or, or at least, you know, tightened up real good, and then somebody slapped all the uh, logos and, and, and lettering onto it as a presentation. It, it's one of those things where the guy that Steve founded on just keeps posting Barry Windsor Smith art. You know, you know, here's this, here's this, here's this. And so, like, I had to go back a month and find it. When I finally found it, I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at the comments. I'm like, the comment that I sent you, I took a screenshot of, but... I can't find that comment on the original post. I'm like, I don't know where this is from. I don't know. Yeah, but but it was one of these, Steve shared it to the service group. Went, oh, yeah, you know, Dave would be interested in this. And I'm like, yeah. But at the same time, I just sent the facts for November, Steve. You, you got to get it to me before the Wednesday. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Um, it's very interesting to look at. It's... Uh I had no idea that uh, Barry did the uh, the pencils separately um, at that time, and then um, white boxed them or something, and then and then inked it because I know I know he uh, he inked the the number sixteen cover. Unless that's which wasn't which wasn't a guarantee at the time. Salvi Sella uh, inked a, a fair amount of. Uh, Barry stuff, and they had a couple of nightmare issues where uh, they had one of those gang inking in the bullpen things, and it's like, oh, please, don't gang ink um, Barry, Barry Windsor Smith, and uh, it was one of the earliest things that uh, that P. Craig Russell worked on at Marvel in the bullpen was uh, uh, being part 
part of this gang inking team on uh, on one of the Conan issues and said, uh, no, he just fervently hopes that uh, his name didn't register with, with Barry Windsor Smith because he would never live down having been part of this uh, this team butchery of, uh, of last-minute inking. But uh, Conan was a best-selling title and, uh, and a licensed title with all of those requirements going into it. So it's like, uh, when it comes down to a contest between art and getting this done and to the printer when it needs to be there. Sorry, Art, you're uh, you're you're out of business on this one. That's I mean, it, I'm not saying it is, but it could be that what I sent you was a preliminary that he did, and you know, sent in for approval, and you know, they sent it to the code, and the code went, oh no, no, this this won't won't do it's you know too salacious and you know that's when you know Barry's comment of how many women do you know that got pubic hair on their knees right yes um if you if you look at uh, they they had a head-to-head -head, head -to -head comparison it was like the frost giant's daughter had these very uh very wispy um completely transparent um uh, veil like things just hovering around her in uh, in the story, and uh, they got uh, they got widened so that they were covering more uh, Frost Giant's daughter's flesh than uh, than were in Savage Tales of Conan. If you look at if you look at the original, she's she was a uh, a very a very hot looking uh, uh, Frost Giant's daughter. Which, uh, given given the age that uh, BWS was at the time, is not really a surprise. You're going to give him a uh, story, uh, the flat, Frost Giant's daughter, and she doesn't really exist. She's just sort of like a temptation for for luring Conan types to their doom. Um, he's going to make sure that uh, she's got all of the allure that. Is, is promised in Robert E. Howard's story. Hmm. Okay, uh, then cleaning out the 786 photos on my Matt's phone. Seriously, 786 photos? Or is that like my dad used to say, I told you a million times, don't exaggerate. No, no, when I plug the phone into the computer to copy all the photos over, it's like 786 items, and I'm like, I know I've done this before, so I'm going to have duplicates when I copy them, where it's going to say, do you want to make two, and I'll say no. But yeah, no, I just, I hadn't cleaned the phone up for, uh, two, three years. Huh. Okay, well, at least it's two or three years. If it was 786 photos every month, I'd say, uh, there's, there's better uses for your time. Well, it, it's stuff like, uh... The two trips to Disney, all the photos I took on my phone were on there. Uh, at least three or four different parades the girls marched in where I was, you know, sometimes I take a video of the parade, and if it was a longer parade, I'd just take pictures of, of you know, okay, here's this float, this float, that type of thing. And I just, you know, it was one of those, oh yeah, I'll delete these later, and then later never came until now it's like, yeah, we're going on vacation again, I should probably clean the phone out. And so... It was, really? Oh, and then it also included if I downloaded, like when I get the Monday report on my phone as an email, if I 
click on it to read it at work, it downloads it to the to my phone. It's like, well, that's technically an image. So it it's just you know. You know, once in a while you gotta, you know, that's the wonders of living in Buck Rogers time where if you know, okay, now we gotta, we gotta clean this up, otherwise we're not gonna be able to do things. Right, right. See, that never happened in uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. It's, uh, they, they didn't anticipate the fact that uh, um, Flash and Dale Arden would have to sit down with their cell phones and go, well, come on, we're going to the, uh, to the ice planet. We better clear these photos off here. We're not going to have any room for, uh, for the new photo. Well, anyway, uh, you're right. I think it's a photo of President Truman meeting with representatives of the National Cartoonist Society. Uh, maybe Alex Raymond? I don't know. But here you go, Dave. Uh, yes, actually, that's, uh, that's Alex Raymond in uh, the center of the photo. Uh, President Truman on his right and uh, on the, to the right of uh, President Truman is uh, Ham Fisher, the uh, cartoonist on Joe Palooka. And forward from uh, President Truman is Milt Kniff. And they're all uh, uh, drawing, drawing the president uh, in, uh, I think the, the, the event took place uh, in the Rose Garden. And it was a, um, uh, I'm trying, trying not to tell the whole story because uh, uh, this is one of those where uh, uh, Eddie Connor went, dig we must, and uh, kept digging and digging and digging and finding out more and more, and more about this um, as we got uh, more stuff from uh, uh, Ohio State University from uh, Milt Kniff's papers. Um, it, it started with, uh, with Ham Fisher, again, the guy in the foreground who was uh, drawing Joe Palooka. And uh, it, it's, it's, uh, um, it's interesting to me that Truman is obviously favoring Ham Fisher. I mean, he's supposed to be the model for these three cartoonists, and then there's another group shot where all of the cartoonists are holding up their drawings of, of Harry Truman. But uh, I think it's one of those, uh, for Harry Truman, Joe Palooka was a comic strip that he knew about and probably read and had read for years. And so, okay, this is, this is the Joe Palooka guy. I don't think he would have known... Uh, Rip Kirby from a hole in the ground, and uh, I think the same would have been the case with uh, with Milt Kniff. Um, he might have read uh, Terry and the Pirates, but uh, Steve Canyon, which was the strip that Milt Kniff was doing at this time, his second strip, uh, Steve Canyon was Air Force, <laughs> and uh, Harry S. Truman, I'm pretty sure, was... Uh, was Army, and Army is just not inclined towards uh, Air Force guys. Uh, so this this actually uh, dated back to uh, what 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 it was was they were helping to uh, um, sell sell government bonds um, linked up with uh, with the Treasury Department, and uh, what they were 
selling the bonds for was because of the uh, the police action in Korea, which uh, wasn't called the Korean War because it was, you know, the United Nations uh, time period and everybody trying to be on board with, uh, we don't commit war anymore. We, we join a universal police action uh, against an, an aggressor, uh, in this case, uh, North Korea. And they got into a little bit of trouble with, well, okay, when you're fighting World War II and you're selling war bonds, People understand war bonds. Yes, I will buy a bond saying, I believe that I'm going to be on the winning side with the United States, and this is worth investing to make sure that uh, Nazi Germany and, uh, and Japan are both defeated, and I'll be getting my money back uh, out of here with interest in five years. In the meantime, uh, Uncle Sam, here's, here's my bucks to uh, help break the axis, help, uh, help uh, defeat the Nazi Germany and, and the Japanese. Uh, didn't have quite the cachet in, uh, in 1949, uh, 1950, um, to, to uh, sell bonds to, for a police action. So uh, any help that they could get to try and get people engaged with it, and it was Ham Fisher, I think, uh, met John Snyder uh, socially, who was uh, the head of the Treasury Department. In uh, uh, I think he goes back to the FDR administration, but he was definitely uh, the Treasury Secretary in Harry Truman's cabinet. And Ham Fisher, I think, went to him or contacted him and said, Hey, you know, I was reading about your uh, uh, bonds that you're selling and that you're looking to uh, publicize it. Uh, how about uh, Joe Palooka comes to the Treasury Department and meets uh, John Snyder and uh, uh, says, you know, hey, boys and girls, moms and dads, uh, buy, buy your bonds. Uh, this is uh, Joe Palooka right here in the office of, of John Snyder. Uh, recommending that you do that and it worked really good it's uh comic strips were a lot more popular back then than they are now far more central um to uh to people's entertainment so if joe palooka tells you um you know buy bonds and uh and help us with this uh with this police action in uh, in korea um it as i say it, it worked the charm so then uh, of course, all of the National Cartoonist Society cartoonists are sort of envious because it's like Ham Fisher's, you know, rubbing elbows with uh, with John Snyder, and somebody decided to upscale it and go, "Hey, why don't we uh, do a, a big trip with all of us going to see uh, President Truman at the at the White House, and uh, we'll all do sketches of uh, of President Truman," and uh, this will be uh, publicizing uh, by bonds. Uh, all of these National Cartoonists, Society Cartoonists, and the President uh, want, want you to buy bonds. And with the success of what Ham Fisher had done, it's like, uh, okay, we're not, we're not selling as many bonds as we were during World War II. Uh, maybe this is 
this is something that would actually work. And it, uh, it actually did work. So that's, that's the short version of, uh, of the story. So book five of the Strange Death of Alex Raymond or book four? <laughs> well, this is one of those ones where Eddie and I sort of argue back and forth about it because the Ham Fisher thing ties in with his big uh, feud with, uh, with Al Cap, um, the guy who did uh, Little Abner, because uh, Al Cap got his start as Ham Fisher's assistant. And then uh, did a hillbilly family in Chopaluka and then decided uh, he's going to do his own hillbilly family and uh, create his own strip. And this set off a giant feud between Am Fisher and, uh, and Al Cap. So it's very, very difficult to tell the story of... Um, uh, how, how that whole thing happened without cragging um, Al Cap into it. And it's like, okay, uh, Eddie dug up a lot of stuff on the, the Al Cap, uh, Hap Frazier feud. And uh, I went, no, this is, this is a separate book. If, if I start bringing Al Cap and Lil Abner into this, and there's a lot of comic art resonances with... Uh, uh, Gone with the Wind, um, with Al Cap and with uh, um, Stan Drake's, um, a, a proxy of Stan Drake and his, and his first wife uh, show up in Little Abner. And it's like, if this isn't them, this is, if this isn't them intentionally, this is definitely an amazing comic art metaphysics. But it's like, no, I gotta, I gotta chop some of these tendrils off of here because, uh, you know, I'm already on page 554, but uh, Eddie, Eddie keeps pushing for, uh, uh, it, you, you can't tell the story properly without Al Cap. Like, this is true, but uh, I'm, I'm going to do the, the best that I can. When I was talking to uh, Owen Klein, the, the director who just did Funny Pages, which we've been talking about a bit, and he said, uh, I've been thinking of making this like uh, part of my filmmaking ooze of uh, Owen Klein is known for doing um, uh, movies that are all based in the comic book field and, and the comic strip field. And he was saying, um, if I decided to do that, what, what, would, what should I do next? And I was going, uh, if you want a really interesting story, look into the uh, outcap Ham Fisher uh, feud, which ended up with uh, Ham Fisher committing suicide, uh, fictionalized that one, and and you're off to the races. Um, if <laughs> uh, this comes up with Eddie from time to time, it's like, well, if you if you're not going to do it in Strange Death of Alex Raymond, uh, what about after Strange Death of Alex Raymond? And it's like, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to be all done with these uh, rabbit hole laden stories. Uh, Ham Frischer versus Al Cap, which, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Al Cap drove uh, Ham Frischer to suicide. Um, so 
somebody else is, is going to have to do that one. The, uh, but, but getting back to the picture, uh, I'm pretty sure I was trying to find uh, the original news clipping, and I've got the photos um, that ha um, Eddie uh, purchased from, uh, from the Truman Library. So I've got amazing, glossy photos. I actually got two of them framed on the wall of, uh, of the office. Um, this, uh, this event uh, took place, as, as far as I remember, I might be misremembering it, but uh, it was October 2nd, uh, 1949, which was uh, Alex Raymond's 40th birthday. Uh, he got to go to the White House and draw a picture of, uh, of Harry Truman. Okay. Well, like I said, it was one of these, I'm going through and I'm, I'm you know, it's, I copied everything and I'm going through deleting stuff, but I'm looking at, well, do I need this on the phone? Is this something that, you know, you know, it might come up where I need it? And I'm like, I got to that picture, I'm like, why the hell is this on my phone? <laughs> like, was this, a, was this, I saw it on Twitter and I saved it to the phone to send up for a please hold and then got busy and forgot about it? Because that does happen quite frequently, but like, you know, usually I, I look at it, oh yeah, that's what this is. This one was like a, where did this come from? Is that Truman? Yes. Yes, it is. It's, um... Uh, there's a, there's another photo in the batch where um, the uh, there's at least 15 or 16 cartoonists and they're all standing around Harry Truman and holding up uh, their drawings for for the photographer and uh, Alex Raymond is uh, is directly behind the president uh, which is. I suppose appropriate because he was the president of the National Cartoonist Society in uh, in 1949, and uh, at some point I'm going to have to do the meticulous research to identify all of uh, um, the, the cartoonists uh, holding up the pictures. Uh, I know Bill Kniff, I know Ham Fisher, I know Alex Raymond. Um, uh, Andreola, who did uh, Carrie Drake, uh, is holding up one. Um, uh, Rube Goldberg is is in the photo holding up a picture of Harry Truman. Uh, Rube Goldberg of the uh, Rube Goldberg device fame. Uh, but there's at least five or six other guys where I don't know who they are. I pulled out my, uh, the only year that I was a member National Cartoonist Society, 1988. And I got their yearbook, and there was a there's a photo in the back of all of the cartoonists standing around um, the, the uh, I think it was called the Flying Cartoonists. They actually leased a plane uh, flying from uh, from New York to Washington, and it's got uh, pictures of all their cartoon characters stuck on the fuselage. And uh, the names of the cartoonists at the bottom. So I have to cross-reference that with with the photos at uh, at the White House. <laughs> it's funny. The uh, National Cartoonist Society uh, credit says, you know, here's all of these guys, and identifies all of the ones that they know. And Marge Devine, who was uh, the secretary 
uh, of the National Cartoonist Society for years and years. She was still the secretary the year that I was a member. And it says, uh, all gathered, uh, you know, uh, getting ready to board the plane to go to Washington to meet Harry Truman. And uh, the photo, uh, at the last credit is 1954. <laughs> I'm going, Harry Truman wasn't president in 1954. Eisenhower was president in 1954. So I don't think they were going to see Harry Truman at the White House in uh in 1954, or uh, we've got a major conspiracy thing going on here. Well, it took them that long to get everybody to agree to get on the flight. <laughs> That's right. They're, they're get, get enough of them sober so that uh, so the, the pilot would agree to take off. Okay, two years in, I think we're ready to go with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, first, there was the almost end of the weekly update. Oh, this is uh, Michael R. of Houston, Pennsylvania. First, there was the almost end of the weekly update on Fridays. Now, this will be uh, the final please hold for. What gives? What's a fan of Sam going to do with all this free time now? Uh, I hope it's not something Manly Matt has done. Kidding. Uh, and then you reply, uh, I think Michael's either confused or jumping to an erroneous conclusion based on me saying on Amok that this was going to be the final please hold for Dave Sim of 2022. Of 2022, Mike. Of 2022. I mean, we can't really hold it against Mike. He did suffer that, uh, that head wound. That's right. We've got photos. Uh, maybe we need to talk to Grace. Grace, Mike's getting confused again. Where's his meds and his pants? Uh, Mike then asked, hi, Matt. I thought of another question. Uh, Got to get him in. Hi, Dave. Can we still send you or Matt questions when we come up with them and have you respond through AMOC? Yes, that, uh, that would be fine. Uh, now that uh, we won't be doing uh, Please Hold for Dave Sim uh, ever again, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, I, I think Matt's staying on as the, uh, the, the interim head honcho at AMHOC, and uh, we'll ask him really nicely that uh, if, if anybody comes up with a question that they would have asked on Please Hold for Dave Sim, but now that Please Hold for Dave Sim isn't going to be done anymore. Um, pretty pleased with sugar on it. Can you forward the questions to Dave Sim? Or should I go old school again and mail a letter when I come up with something to ask you and hope you write back? Yeah, that would work fine as well. If, uh, if you've got a question for Dave Sim uh, and uh, you, want to, you want to send it to me in the form of a letter, um, I can uh, either handwrite if it's a short answer or, or type up an answer and uh, uh, fax that um, to, uh, to Matt to, uh, to post on, uh, on a moment of service. Now that, uh, now that please hold for Dave Sim isn't going to, uh, isn't going to exist. Uh, and then you reply, of 2022, Mike, it's the final Please hold because there are no more months in 2022 after December. 
Grace, Grace, we really need those pants. Grace. So uh, I, I hope that's uh, that's cleared everything up. Yes, I will be. I will be happy to answer answer questions now that uh, we won't be doing please hold for Dave Sim anymore, and we'll be we'll be faxing the answers uh, to Matt to post at a moment of service, as I did last month when uh, when Matt was what was that one? That was uh, uh, Bullwinkle was in. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm going to think of it. Dalmatians. Correct. How, how many how many times did you go and see uh, 101 Dalmatians? Uh, only once. Because only once. You were going to go a bunch of times. So I had two tickets to each of the four shows, and I was going to take my mom and my dad separately. And my mom had to babysit a kid. And because she had to go to, she was going to go to the show, but she had to bring him along, and we only had two tickets. I stayed home, so I only saw it once. But she was really good. The one show I saw. Right, was she one of the head Dalmatians, or who was she? She was Chihuahua number two. Chihuahua number two. I don't even remember Chihuahua number two. So, the the way they do it is, there's four dogs of various breeds that are the narrators. And then when they do the Twilight Bark where the dogs are spreading the word about the missing puppies, they have the narrator dog come out with two more of that breed. So there's Boxers, uh, Boxers, Scotties, Chihuahuas, and I forget the fourth one. But the Chihuahuas... Chihuahua. Oh, okay. Like, uh, like Paris Hilton's dog, a Chihuahua. Yeah. So the, the Chihuahuas come out, and they're the funniest part of that bit because they get to, you know, they, they're talking, but they're talking in Spanish and then switching back to English and then switching back. And so it's like, ay, 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 or ay, caramba. And, of course, my kid being my kid, it's like, okay, you got to practice your line. And she's doing the entire bit of, you know, what all three Chihuahuas say. I'm like, no, no, just your part. Because when you're on stage, you're not going to be giving somebody else's lines talking to yourself. And she's like, hey, I know, I know. She has since performed the entire play front to back every character four times that I know of. Holy smokes. Well, she, she memorized the entire script. Holy smokes. you got to be careful. She might turn into an actress. Nobody wants to have an actress for a time. Well, you know, if she's making big money and I'm her manager, yes, yes, I very much do. No, no, just, just think of Miley Cyrus. Does that look like happy, uh, yeah. happy result for a family? Well, that's 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 it's one of those. You know, I'm willing to let her get into acting, but at the same time, as long as she understands, this isn't going to become your life. Yeah, that's. I, there's enough. There's enough uh, child star horror stories for me to be like, yeah, you can. You can do a play, once, twice, not every day, not on Broadway. I'm not going to California for you. I mean, I love my kid, but not enough to destroy her future. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it, that brings us to Dave Sim confession time, where uh, uh, I read lines. 
uh, with Mike Kitchen's daughter, Raina. And uh, she was in uh, a play at school, Sherlock Holmes, I think. And uh, then I went, well, that was fun. So then I picked up uh, copies of Waiting for Godot. And uh, Mike and Raina and I did Waiting for Godot. And now Raina is has become a professional actress. And it's like, oh Mike, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going to take the full blame for it, but I really shouldn't have, uh, have helped out with that. And it's like, you know, watching video of her in the school play, and it's like, hey, you're really good. You, you know exactly how broad the gestures have to be for, uh, uh, for being on stage as opposed to being on, on film. And it's like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do this for a living. This is, this is a nightmare. So I wrote her a long letter about all of my personal nightmare stories with actresses, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure it didn't didn't dissuade her in the least. I, uh, if if she's become an actress, well, okay, un, unhappy ending somewhere up ahead. Uh, too bad she's uh, she's a real nice kid. Uh, then moving on to page six, Bill Usher asks. If you could go back in time and make Cerebus differently, what would you change, if anything? Um, okay, my answer to that would be, uh, um, if I, it, and I don't believe in this because it's like, uh, uh, as you say, you know, I don't, I don't believe in in hypotheticals, and I certainly don't believe in uh, Monday morning quarterbacking your own life but if I could go back and uh, and say something to uh, to Dave Sim at the time about Cerebus specifically the Cerebus uh, character it would be uh, don't lose the fetus looking legs that he had originally where uh, they sort of curve in and they're about the same length on Cerebus proportionate to his torso that uh, a fetus's legs are and a newborn's legs are relative to their torso. That's inherently funny. That's, that's genetically funny. You will get on, uh, on women's good side um, just because uh, it looks like a newborn's legs, but he's running around with a sword chopping people up. Uh, the whole world was waiting for a, a homicidal newborn. And uh, I got fished in, um, first of all, by BWS um, doing the tree trunk style service legs. And then Kevin Eastman jumped on that bandwagon. And then it was like, well, okay, I guess this is, this is what service legs should look like. And it's like... Uh, Trading, trading too much for too little. I, tra I traded a genetic level psych gag for um, something that's, there's really nothing terribly funny about tree trunks. So having, having two of them on your character, um, you're killing your own gag. And that's only something that you know with, uh, with uh, 35 years of, uh, of retrospect. And 
Bill Usher asks a bonus question. What are your favorite books or books you think more people should read? Uh, yes, you're right, uh, Matt, the Torah, the Gospels, and the Koran. But um, uh, extending the question, uh, I would say something that would be interesting to read tangential to the Torah and the Gospels and the Koran uh, in terms of this is this this has its own levels of mystery to it uh, where it's not scripture it's, uh, so there's more mystery to it than there is um, confidence that it's it's as accurate as as scripture, as 100% founded in truth, as scripture, um, I would definitely recommend uh, Plutarch's Lives, uh, also known as Plutarch's Parallel Lives, which uh, Plutarch wrote in uh, pretty much in the immediate aftermath of, uh, of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Plutarch lived until about 125 A.D. I'm not sure if I'm remembering the dates correctly. I think he was born around 46 A.D. So he was born maybe uh, 10 years after after the two crucifixions. Um, and he writes this history of um, all of these celebrated personalities uh, in Greece and Rome. And if you read it, uh, they're, they're very short, uh, episodic sort of things, uh, you know, one, one or two pages uh, per figure. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of times that you're going to go, wait a minute, this guy, did this guy actually exist? I mean, you're writing about him as if he actually existed, but uh, in my frame of reference, uh, this is a Greek myth. Um, Plutarch was a Greek. Uh, but he had uh, a Latin name that I forget, a triple-barreled Latin name. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting to read because um, there is a, a a lot of gray areas with, uh, uh, as an example, uh, he writes about Romulus and Remus as actual historical figures, uh, the founders of Rome. Uh, so, it, but he writes about it in terms of, you know, them being uh, suckled by the she-goat, or the she-wolf. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, uh, how much of this am I supposed to believe? Am I supposed to believe that uh, Romulus and Remus were actually suckled by a she-wolf? Or is that part of the uh, uh, Roman legend thing? And... Uh, because it's, uh, it has survived pretty much intact from uh, first, first century of the Common Era, it's like, well, this is, this is what he wrote. Um, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, we got a lot of stuff pasted on here to try and help us fill in the cracks where um, Plutarch's original text doesn't exist. Plutarch's text uh, exists in, in this form and uh, you know uh, they know 
definitely when Rome was founded, um, I forget the exact year, 758 BC, 750 something BC, it's around there. Uh, which is interesting because uh, Rome was founded at the same time that uh, uh, Jerusalem was being sacked by the, uh, the Babylonians, which is, you know, what uh, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and uh, the lesser prophets are, are all about. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting, you know, read it and go, okay, as far as people are concerned, as far as people in the first century of the common era were concerned, uh, all of the intellectual classes in Greece and Rome, uh, all of the Jews, this is a, a history. Um, and, you know, we know when uh, the Babylonian conquest uh, took place, uh, we know when Rome was founded, but come on, are you telling me these two babies were suckled by a she-wolf and then raised up by them and then they founded uh, the Eternal City? Well, and that's, I mean, that's one of those, you know, it, it's, this is, this is the history as we know it. Uh, okay, it sounds a little, a little fishy to me, but all right. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, so if you're talking about uh, favorite books or, uh, or books you think more people should read, um, you know, definitely, you know, to understand reality, I think you need to read the Torah, the Gospels, and the Koran. Uh, but to understand reality uh, as it has been understood for the last 2,000 years, uh, and, you know, uh, Rome was founded and, and Plutarch was writing at a time when people were, you know, in England were still basically swinging around in the trees kind of thing. So, uh, you know, to get everything, get all your uh, civilizational ducks in a row, I would say you, you, you can't go too far wrong with, uh, with Plutarch's lives. And I'm going to have to take a break right now because this time of year, the final prayer time is uh, 6.12 Eastern time. So I will phone you back and we will get to Bill Usher's third question. Okay, that works. Talk to you in a little while. All right, talk to them. Bye.
for yourself and uh, just go down the list because each each chapter is the name of the person whose life um, the Plutarch is, is talking about. And just ask yourself as you go down the list, uh, self, do I think that this is an actual person or do I think that this is a Greek or a Roman myth? And uh, as we all know, a myth is as good as a mile. Uh, will, and third question from Bill Usher is uh, will you attempt to make an ambitious comic like Cerebus again uh, actually I am doing an ambitious comic like Cerebus again uh, Strange Death of Alex Raymond is uh, is definitely very very ambitious um, just ambitious in uh, in very different ways. I mean, uh, the the amount of research material going into it. I mean, just piles and piles of research material. Um, there was uh, virtually no research on uh, on Cerebus that would compare with that, apart from. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, uh, Oscar Wilde. Um, it, it is uh, it is a, a luxury that you don't appreciate uh, being able to make all this stuff up off the top of your head uh, and then just have to keep track of it um, compared to, okay, I know I've got that somewhere in these piles and piles and piles of faxes and photocopies, but uh, where is it? Uh, case in point today, the, uh, uh, the National Cartoonist Society visit to the to Harry Truman's White House. I've got that article around here somewhere, and I've got uh, a uh, photo that I didn't get framed of, uh, of uh, the ceremony at the, in the Rose Garden, but I could probably spend the next three days uh, looking for it. Also the fact that if you uh, include the groundwork done in, uh, in Glamourpus, which is obviously where Strange Death of Alex Raymond started, that goes back to 2008. So I have now put in 50% um, of the time that I put in on Cerebus, more than 50% of the time that I put in on Cerebus on a book that is, to this point, just slightly longer than High Society. So, in terms of the research and in terms of having to keep this manageable, having to uh, uh, limit the parameters of the book so that it's not completely suffocating for the reader. Uh, it's, you know, dense-packed information. People can only read so much dense-packed information uh, before their eyes start to glaze over. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that's... Uh, it, the, the, story, the book's going to be interesting enough for people to read that they're not going to notice that they're on page... 554 when uh, when they come to uh, to the end of Pagan's cheerful summer 
and when they're just about to dive into what I'm calling the many deaths of Margaret Mitchell, which is a, uh, a fractal treatment of, there's no way that I can uh, take all of these different versions of Margaret Mitchell's death and rationalize them into a single narrative. So here's as many of them as I think are credible and told as close to simultaneously as possible. Well, you know, the problem is is that after you learned how much 500 pages holds, and then you did the, you know, all the other books, now you, you know, now you have that, that razor sharp, okay, this is what I can do, you know, focus, but at the same time, like you said, you, you have mountains and mountains of, you know, anything could go, anything, you could randomly grab anything from any stack and go, well, there's at least two pages here. <laughs> yeah, or, or the, the other experience, like looking for stuff today, and I'm going, oh, I completely forgot this part. Yes, this definitely has to go in. And it's like, I'm holding it in my hand. Well, as soon as you put it down, it's it gets lost as uh, as a drop in the ocean again. So uh, there will definitely be coming uh, points up ahead where I'm going to have to take a good three or four days off from actually producing the book and just review the material. And uh, it's it's been the process all along. It's what, what is the, uh, the AAA material that's just going to make people's jaws drop and go, oh, you just made that up. And it's like, oh, uh, believe me, it's, uh, it would be very, very comforting for me to say, I just made that up. Uh, I didn't make, just make that up. Here's, here's the newspaper article that this is from. Here's the book that this is from. Uh, here's the interview where they talked about this. Um, and then just connect the dots, tic-tac-toe. I'm, I'm going to have to ask Eddie how many volumes the companion book's going to run of, okay, you know, page, page 28, here's the four pages of articles that factored into that page. Right, right. Uh, Eddie is just starting, I think, to appreciate how much of his life uh, this, this is going to eat up uh, doing that. I've, I've avoided uh, sending him uh, more annotations on the stuff that I've been working on uh, because he's up to his eyeballs as it is. I mean, I've got it all printed out here. Um, he's got it in digital form, so he does have kind of an advantage that uh, he can just... Uh, um, follow the bunny down the rabbit hole on his, on his laptop and go, okay, uh, word green, type that in, subhead this, subhead this. Okay, there it is. That's, uh, that's what I was looking for. I, I try, because he's, he's doing the annotations, the online annotations as, you know, another of his, of his full-time jobs, uh, in addition to the one that he actually gets paid for. Um, I try to just leave him to that because uh, this 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 whole thing is is definitely going to ha has been and and will continue to uh, to telescope on us, which is 
one of the reasons that I definitely had to come up with a successor and I had to come up with uh, somebody where, okay, it's, it's all inside this house in this location. Uh, this all gets transferred to you and you will, you will pick up where I left off and going through the same experience, going through the, through all the pieces of paper and stuff that's on my laptop and going, Oh, I completely forgotten about this. This definitely needs to be, needs to be mentioned. Uh, Dave Copperman has an idea to make you some of that money we've heard so much about. Yes, we hear a lot about money. Uh, just putting my comment from the other day out to Dave, and thank you, David. Uh, the Waverly Foreman Void arrived yesterday, and it is again a thing of beauty. Yes, I haven't seen a copy yet, but Kagan uh, uh, told me that uh, he, he got them in, and Marky did their usual jaw-dropping job on it. Kudos to the usual team. I actually rather like the blue cover with cold stamp. Definitely gives it the vibe of a period hardcover of one of Hemingway's books once you've mislaid the dust jacket, as one does. Well, if you're a pathological uh, collector, you don't display dust jackets as was done historically. They, they didn't used to actually even uh, illustrate the dust jacket. It was just there to keep dust off of it while it was in the store until you bought it, and then you just threw the dust jacket away. Maybe a smallish way for Dave to make a little extra scratch is to design a dust jacket for people who have bought hardcovers print-on-demand. I could totally see him killing it as an exercise in mid-century design and flap copy. I'd personally be happy to buy one if the price were reasonable. <laughs> oh, right there, see? That's, <laughs> that's where we get, start to get into disfugalies, as my dad used to call them. Uh, reasonable and... Um, uh, profitable are, are two different categories in this day and age. And Lord knows the hardcover completists out there would be happy to spend unreasonably as their budgets allow. Uh, could even be a sale piece for people who didn't buy the hardcover. Leave flat with, uh, quote, fold here and trim, quote, markings. And those that wanted for the hardcover got theirs and those who don't can have it as a poster. Heck, there's many that would buy two to cover both bases. Uh, thanks, Dave Copperman. Um, okay, just uh, off the top of that, my head on that one, I don't see there being enough money in it for me to devote money-making time to it. I mean, my time is divided between um, Strange Death of Alex Raymond, which is this has to be done properly and very specifically the way I picture it in my mind. And if that just takes way too long, that just takes way too long. We're um, working on ways to monetize uh, 
strange death of Alex Raymond, starting from what is page 154, 153 in uh, SDOAR Carson, um, which is what everybody has now. And um, um, the last page of mock-ups that I've done, page uh, 554. So there's 300 pages there to monetize and make available in some way uh, that hopefully won't involve me personally having to do anything now that uh, my side is producing the pages. Um, when it comes to money-making things, things like uh, Kristen, uh, Kristen H. out in, uh, out in California um, sending me a money order for $2,000 U.S. and a blank Cerebus uh, sketchbook uh, cover and I fill it up and send it to him and then he sends me another check with uh, another um, sketchbook cover. Obviously, that I don't think that's going to go on forever, but that's the money-making category um, that I picture. People are not going to buy uh, $2,000 dust jackets. Um, the 100, you know, 120 people who have bought the uh, Foreman Boyd hardcover um, aren't going to be paying uh, $100 for a dust jacket. So it gets into, uh, I need the most bang for the buck or things where, okay, I'm doing this to make money. It's, it's not a part of me that says Foreman Boyd needs a dust jacket. Um, so it's, it's not a, it's not that compulsive, uh, creative itch that, uh, has to stay at the center, center of my art. Um, and it's not something that would make money. I think the compromise uh, position would be um, if if you or somebody else wants to do a uh, um, a dust jacket uh, using the uh, existing artwork. I mean, uh, uh, the remastered edition is pretty clean. So if uh, all you would be doing is mocking up a dust jacket. Here, I think uh, uh, this head of uh, Ham Ernest Way, uh, this figure of Cerebus, and we'll do this Photoshop trick, uh, you know, fusing the one to the other. Um, here's, you know, a couple of panels in the background burned out to a light gray, or here's everything in color. It's, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't tell anybody no, you can't do a dust jacket for my book. If uh, you know, you, you already paid really, really good dinero for uh, for the hardcover. If you want to design your own dust jacket and uh, uh, either just have it be your dust jacket, which would require getting the digital files from uh, uh, Sean Robinson and. Uh, you know, do it, uh, using the best quality scans to make a, a dust jacket. Um, you could do that, and then you could say, 
okay, here's the dust jacket that uh, I mocked up for myself and now have a finished version that I got them to print out at Kinko's. Uh, anybody else wants this, uh, you have to send Dave Sim money. You have to send Aardvark Anaheim and you pick a number out of a hat of how much uh, they, they would... Uh, they would have to pay you to use your dust jacket and pay Aardvark Vanheim to use your dust jacket. I could see that. I could see, and we'd probably be lucky to get uh, five people in each category. But uh, in terms of this is how much time it would take for me to sit down and, you know, have... Uh, well, first of all, I'd have to go through every page of Foreman Void again, which I just did, and I would have to pull out images, and I would have to size them on the photocopier and uh, pick out uh, a typeface that I liked or use the, uh, the logo that I already drew and try to come up with, um, as you say, a uh, uh, what we would be looking for is a... Um, uh, exercise in mid-century design and flap copy uh, because that's a, that's a very specific thing and I, I think you're right that would be uh, if you were going to make up a, a dust jacket for Form Void that's uh, uh, that's what you would want to have in mind and that's another part of the exercise okay how many how many mid-century books do I have or have access to and okay that one looks really good let's do that what's that typeface called okay now i gotta go looking for the typeface through all of my typefaces and it's like uh if i can do a uh you know two hour painting of uh Terebus and jaka on a sketchbook cover and get two thousand dollars that's probably where i'm going to be putting uh, putting my time in well, my, my thought is, I kind of wonder if Gerhard would be interested in doing a dust jacket, you know, and, and running running with the idea. Because in my head, I'm thinking a good cover would be, you know, it's a landscape with a with a diagonal, you know, kind of tear from one corner to the other, you know, the bottom corner to the top corner. And on the top side, it's the winter and, and, and the trees are bare and the snow and the bottom side is Africa. And I'm going, that would look really neat. If I had thousands of dollars, I'd pay Gerhard to do that for me, but I, I don't have thousands of dollars. Right. And from what I understand, Gerhard's pretty busy as it is. He's got a, a list as long as his arm of commissions, so it's not like... Uh, well, I suppose, you know, if you just won uh, one of those landmark lotteries that we have these days. I just read about a guy that won $70 million. Yeah, if you had $70 million and you were giving, willing to give Gerard uh, uh, two of those or five of those or eight of those to put uh, all, of his, uh, all of his commissions on hold to do your, uh, uh, your form and void dust jacket, can't speak for him, but I, I think arguably he would say, yeah, that's a go. Um, he might want to spend uh, uh, <laughs> two 
or three months on his boat somewhere tropical uh, before uh, he, he, he started on it. But uh, well, definitely, I think, would probably move you to the top of his list. Well, for a couple million dollars, I think, just out of necessity, Gerhard would have to take his boat down to Cuba to go to the Hemingway Estate down there and just make sure he got the vibe right. It's a fact-finding trip. It's a fact-finding trip, Matt. I'm going for fact-finding. That's right. That's right. And uh, and buy a recreated uh, Ernest Hemingway's boat, the Pilar. And uh, there, I'm going to cruise around on uh, on Ernest Hemingway's uh, boat. Actually, a facsimile of it with all of the modern conveniences. Uh, like you say, just to get the vibe. Well, I mean, to be, to be fair, I think Gerhard would only charge a couple of grand for the cover. It's all the expenses to make the cover. that That's where you get up into the millions. Well, there you go. There you go. But uh, there would be no way to keep you out of the newspaper if you won $70 million. So he knows there's more where that came from. So uh, drum up those expenses. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's make this happen. Uh, the other day, because I didn't really have any quote, good, unquote, moment, uh, how often does that happen? Uh, at least once a month where there's, there's a day where, okay, you got to do the blog today. It's like, I got nothing. Nothing came over the facts. <laughs> I've, I've run, I've run all the good photos Raleigh sent me, you know, Margaret, Margaret didn't give me a good launch pad from the notebook post. It's. You know, and it's it's Tuesday. What are you gonna do, Matt? And it's like ah, I got nothing. So you posted the contents page to the first Cerebus volume. It, it was I posted the contents page, the Artverkian age map, uh, the Never Pray for Change page, one of the blue line pages from uh, the first signature of of Melmoth that I got off eBay. And then the signed first page where it said, you know, Melmoth, that you would sign going a rare one-of-a-kind blue line for the first signature. And then I signed off. There's got to be a moment in there somewhere. <laughs> and John G. commented, uh, see, how about that? You're just, uh, okay, I'm just going to think of something off the top of my head and throw it on there because I need something for today. And what what excites a comment is, is that one. John G. commented, Dave didn't include magicking in the Service Volume 1 reprint collection? Hmm, I wonder why not. Uh, seems like it fits pretty well between number 12 and number 13, and it's even referenced in an early panel of number 13. Uh, Cerebus recalls snatches of a bizarre dream. Maybe just space concerns? Quote, space, unquote, unquote, as in room in the book, not as in the universe. Uh, the problem with Cerebus Volume 1 is always where do you stop when you start putting uh, stuff in there? It's like Demon Horn definitely belongs in there. Um, the Comics Buyer's Guide strips, the Prince Valiant parody, uh, definitely needs to be in between um, 13 and 14. Um, you know what I'm saying. It's, uh, and, and if you start
start going through Alex Kay's uh, uh, timeline, uh, then you get into all of the um, uh, Sarah's Jam stories. Um, Sarah's Volume One is already uh, 500 pages uh, plus. Uh, you you would be surprised how quickly the page numbers add up, um, and it's it's a it's a decision making process that I haven't revisited since I abandoned it. Um, the service volume is sitting right over there on the, uh, um, the the side table next to the desk, and I would be the most surprised guy in the room if I looked at the contents page. This isn't in there. This isn't in there. Uh, which printing is this? It's uh, at, at, at some point, uh, after I'm dead, maybe long after I'm dead, somebody is going to do the definitive uh, Cerebus Volume 1. Um, and somebody is going to publish it, or if not publish it, make it available as, uh, as print-on-demand. It, it, it would be one of those... Um, who's bothered by this? And <laughs> what's that? Well, because this 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 turns into the miscellany discussion of you know why doesn't Dave do the miscellany? It's like well because there's 16 other books that he's got to you know those 16 plates got to keep spinning plus work on Sodor plus bring money in to keep the lights on. At a certain point, it's just there's not enough time and or money or interest to make a miscellany volume worth it. But years ago, when, you know, around 2005, 2006, when the, the push in the Yahoo group, because that's how long ago we were talking about it, uh, was, oh yeah, we should, you know, the miscellany volume, you know, what would we put in there? And everybody's going, well, it's got to have this, and it's got to have that. And the problem is, is A, it's half color, half black and white, or, or you know. <laughs> right, it's got the young service stories, at the beginning of it. And and the other problem is if you just did the black and white stuff and it was not I don't want to say bare bones but it was the black and white stuff that didn't wouldn't cause any pr headaches legally like the turtles or spawn which I understand has been cleared up but at the time you know they were it was nebulous of would Todd and uh Kevin and Peter be okay with reprinting that stuff and so okay you you cut those out and so now, what are you left with for black and white? And it's too thin to be a phone book, but too thick to be just, you know, a really big, thick comic. And, you know, it's not going to fit on a shelf, right? And and I, I always thought the best thing that somebody could do would be, okay, all the stuff that, you know, belongs in that first volume, pack it in there with the first volume, but split it in half and then have volume one service and volume 1.5, the artwork. Yeah, again, it's uh, how, how important is this to anybody? Like, after I'm dead, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's really up to anybody who, who would want to do it because then it's, you know, everything really is in the public domain. It's like, Margaret, does this really bother you? Like, would you like to have um, uh, the equivalent of... Uh, 
the all-in-one bone volume uh, version of Cerebus Volume 1, where it's practically a cube because it's so thick, but it's got everything in there. I mean, um, the, the remastering uh, is, is not as difficult a process as it was. So it, it would it would definitely make a a unique book. Um, it's not something that that in my mind I go if I die before that you know giant book gets put together that's uh, the reverse of the Wizard of Oz. It starts off in color and then goes to black and white. Um, you know it's it, it, it's just not it's not something that uh, that concerns me but i can certainly understand somebody going no i i definitely want that book uh in which case we're almost back to uh the dave Copperman's uh, uh dust jacket thing it's like uh why don't you make one of them up for yourself if if you're really really ardent on this and you are the OCD completist that uh, Margaret can only pretend to be. Like you just, you just make Margaret look like uh, a part-time service hobbyist, and you are determined to do service from the beginning of the story, the complete canon, right up to the beginning of high society. No ifs, ands, buts or maybes, uh, Miami mice has to go in there. Everything has to go in there. All of the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the different, different color covers, uh, you know, uh, start merging it with the, with the color, color volume with the stuff in the back and just figure out, okay, how many pages is this going to be? How much does it cost me to produce one of these? And, you know, if it turns out to be whatever it turns out to be, eighteen hundred, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, then you can say, okay, I got mine. Anybody else wants one of these, and you can have all of the groundwork that I put into it um, for a small a small fee of a thousand dollars for me and a thousand dollars for our Uh I don't think there's that level of interest out there, but you never know. All you need is one person where uh, describing it as as OCD completist is being charitable. <laughs> they're they're beyond OCD. Well, and then of course the question becomes: Okay, so say you're grabbing all all the miscellaneous stuff, like the 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 nineteen ninety five tour book slash the nineteen ninety five not the world tour book. If you were grabbing all the stuff from there, do you take the the jam with Chester Brown and put that in there, or do you say, well, it, it's not really service, but he's in one panel. So, and that's when you know my mental OCD collector goes, you own both copies of the tour book and not the world tour book. It's not like you don't have it. You can read them whenever you want. Right. You know, they're right, right. there on the shelf. And it's, I, I try not to, I mean, as the moment of service, guys, I should be the most obsessive guy there is. It's like, yeah, but then at the same time, it's like, there's a, there comes a point where you got to be, 
you know, there is such thing as a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah, and and it's uh, you're never going to come up with a format that everybody's going to be happy with, uh, just because of of human nature. The, the people who are going to go, uh, I don't really want uh, Miami mice in there. I don't want the issue of uh, of the flaming carrot uh, that's got service going. Mister Keep is the sweeper. Um, it's that—that uh, that is a bridge too far. But again, there, there's somebody out there who it's uh, no, no such thing for them. It's uh, if, if Dave Sim drew it at its service and uh, it was published somewhere. As far as they're concerned, it's canon and it belongs. And anything short of that, uh, you get into a very lengthy debate with uh, with everybody. You know, where where does Spawn 10 fit in the Cerebus canon? Where um, Turtles, uh, we've got, a, you know, I, I put the date in, uh, um, in, in the book. So uh, that one is definitely, it fits in between um, which uh, this Cerebus Jam story and this service jam story, uh, it's it's going to be a very very odd read. I think would be the most charitable way to put it. Right. I mean that's it. It's one of those that's whenever the miscellany value comes up. It's you know there's guys that have done digital versions of it. Of okay, here's you know I have scan. I made scans of my copies and here's everything. And it's you know there's people that. You know, some people are like, "Well, you got to have this in," and other people are going, "No, you don't need the back cover of the guide, the original guide to self-publishing, because because that's in the inside cover. As long as you have the inside cover, you don't need the back cover." It's like, but do you? Right, right. Are 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 we completed or are we completed? And the only answer to that question is yes. I mean. There, you know, there's a part of me thinking, well, you know, you could, you know, we mock something up and we get a quote from Alfonso to print one up, you know, okay, so we, so say we do the two volume set idea and we have Alfonso print a set up, okay, what's that going to cost? And all right, now we want 50 more of them. How quick can we get those? And oh, wait, convention season's starting. So he's like, eh, can we hold off? And, you know, that's. Right. Right. To, to be. Uh, it is. It is one of those things that if somebody got interested enough in doing that and had enough spare time uh, to work on it, we could produce one book called the OCD Cerebus Volume 1 um, just for the, the fun of it. And then, uh, <laughs> fun in quotation marks because it's, it's not going to put itself together. And then uh, you know auction it off through uh, through heritage auctions. That might produce money for Artvark Van Eyne because it would be well if you actually look at it, you actually try reading it. Uh, this is we we'll be lucky to sell the one copy, and we're probably only going to sell the one copy because there is only one copy. Well, I mean, I know you did the uh, the hardcover high societies that you got through Heritage, and I don't remember what those sold for. 
if they, you know, if, right. if, if money came in or if it was one of those, eh, barely covered the shipping to ship them to Texas. Uh, closer to that than uh, uh, kidney-shaped swimming pool time. Um, because Heritage Auctions really revolves around, A, the artwork, and B, the serialized comic books. Um, as, as, you know, in the same category, uh, Doug Salipa, who uh, I trade um, uh, service and hell monthly issues for uh, the Canadian price variants. Uh, I asked him when we started doing Swords of Cerebus in Hell, do you want Swords of Cerebus in Hell? And he went, no, definitely not. Collections, for the, for the guys in the collecting end of things, collections are not really worth the, the money that it costs to produce them. The original comic books, uh, that's where the money is. And at the hockey stick curve of uh, 9.8 or better. So that, that covers that one, Dave, to uh, uh, our uh, John G, uh, to the best of my ability. And moving on to MJ, Mike Sewell. Hello, Mike, again. Uh, how did the Foreman Void remaster campaign go bottom line-wise? And will the success slash failure slash kind of, sort of, okay sales result inspire more remasters? Uh, if so, which one is next? MJ, Mike Sewell, your forever fan. Until I die and my kids go through all my stuff and say, quote, Barabas, what's this? Unquote, and sell all my stuff at a yard sale. Um, what, what was it you said? Let me turn over the page here. Uh, not, it, it, Matt says, not great. Uh, the last day, yes, uh, to both of those. Um, sales were... Um, Hard Rock Vanaheim will be getting a check for about $4,000 US from Waverly Press for the hardcovers, um, uh, AV's 50% share. Um, AV is uh, uh, paying Waverly Press 4000 for uh, the soft covers because it's on the same bill and my accountant would kill me if I just sort of traded the one for the other. So I sent Dagan a check for 4,000 US today. Uh, he'll be sending me a check for 4,000 US. Um, and then uh, uh, Diamond Comics will be paying for the soft covers that they got. And I don't think that's around 4,000, but it's around 3,000 US something like that, which in Canadian would be about 4,000 or something. It's more, it, uh, it is something that needs to be done uh, just to keep the remastering process going, uh, to keep the uh, hardcover fans uh, satisfied because doing them as fast as we can is still incredibly slow and my level of interest in hardcovers is uh, still still zero. Um, so it's, uh, 
not full speed ahead, but it is, yes, as soon as the last day is done and there's a Kickstarter for the last day and uh, it's solicited through Diamond as a soft cover and the hardcover is made available. Um, as soon as that's done, then it will be on to the next remastered book, but probably with something in between that I am interested in, like... Uh, the 1982 tour book, which uh, Dagan tells me is virtually all done, uh, just needs needs to be printed and just needs to be slotted in somewhere where we're not uh, we're not overdoing it on uh, on selling really expensive stuff to uh, really ardent service fans. And uh, give your kids my email address, and I'll help Margaret pick up. But she doesn't have already. You know, there is there is a kind of uh, um, balance to the universe that for every time that the kids go through dad's um, most cherished possessions and go, ooh, what's this? And like you say, sell it at a yard sale, or as happened with at least some of uh, um, Jeff Seiler's um, art artifacts. Uh, just took it to the nearest comic store and just took whatever amount of money that they were offering. Uh, it helps to keep the stores going. Uh, the store uh, gets a a nice payday on this because they pay less than uh, than they would have to for somebody that knew what they had. They can sell it to somebody who is really ardent on getting it and uh, will be happy to pay a premium price for it. So it will eventually go for the prices that it should have gone for, but uh, everybody gets a little, a little Merry Christmas in between. Which is not to say, <laughs> don't give Matt Dow your uh, uh, your email ad uh, to your kids his email address and uh, leave Margaret out of this. But um, that's that too is a possibility. Well, that's, every now and then somebody will be like, we'll go on the Facebook group of, I'm downsizing my collection, I have all this, you know, if anybody's interested, and, you know, they're giving, it, you know, they're giving decent prices for, for stuff to people that are interested, and I think, you know, it, it's a great idea to, to you know, because none of us are getting younger, so having a plan for, okay, you know, what do we do with, with the service collection when fans start, you know, okay, you know, either I'm, I'm dead like Jeff or just I'm, you know, downsized in my life and I don't need to have 300 comic books and 16 phone books and this and that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a good idea. Yeah, that's why I, I keep throwing out there, hey, you can always email a moment of service and we'll find a home for whatever you have, but you, you got to let us know you have it, you know, don't, don't just, you know, don't have the plan of, well, the kids will figure it out. Well, yeah, the kids aren't going to care. These are the, yeah. these are them weird-smelling old comical books that uh, Dad kept going, oh, no, those are worth money. And it's like, well, yeah, they would have been worth money if Dad had slabbed them, but he didn't. <laughs> and if Dad didn't read them all the time, Dad, stop reading your comic books. You're, you're making them not in men. Dad, I mean, that's my college fund. You know, a, a, a 9.8 of some of the white-covered issues, 
are probably going to end up being real rare just because it's a white cover. White covers don't age well, especially if you're handling them. Right, right. But that's, uh, I, that's you know, I, I, I encourage anybody, if, you know, if you've got a collection and you're worried about what's going to happen to it, and if, especially if you have an artifact type thing like, you know, here's a, here's a letters and sketches from Dave. Hey, the, the uh, P.O. box address is pr pretty well known. Just mail it back. Dave will take it. Right. And, and after right. You, uh, I, I, one of the things that you can do is, like, go to your uh, local print shop and say, can you make up uh, dollar sign stickers for me? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, just a sticker that's, that's got a, a dollar sign on it. And uh, you take the stickers and, and put them on the, the, the back of uh, the comic books that are bagged and boarded that would go for a lot of money and save your kids the aggravation. It's like they just go through the comic books and go, here's a dollar sign. I found another dollar sign. Oh, this one's got two dollar sign stickers on it. Put this one aside. No, that one's mine. No, that one's mine. <laughs> well, that's what well, my grandpa was a coin collector because uh, <laughs> he got this deal because he would he would count the the collection plate at church, and the deal he made with the priest was uh, penny for penny. Any you know any coins I find, I will pay you what they're worth. You know uh, you know penny for penny. You know I find. I find this penny, I find that penny, I will give you pennies. You know, I, nickels, dimes, same thing. And so he had an extensive coin collection because, you know, not only did he count the money, but he, you know, he sorted it. Like uh, a, a 1943 copper penny, because that was when the war was on, they made him out of steel, but they accidentally made a run out of copper. And he had a roll of 50 of them. And the guy at work just told me that there's one up for auction that's expected to go for like, seven thousand dollars and i'm thinking yeah grandpa had 50 of these things <laughs> there you go when he when he started losing his mind because he had had a series of micro strokes and I, and I believe it was before he died but he was losing his memory my grandma took it in to get the collection appraised without telling anybody and when my aunts found out they were like no get it back and when she went to the store to get it back we're pretty sure Grandpa wasn't saving Chuck E. Cheese tokens. The guy, the guy had basically, oh, you want that collection back? Well, here, because it wasn't like she had a record of what she brought there. She just took it in of, well, what's this worth? Well, it's not worth much. It's like, yes, it is. Right. And, right. And See, that's, that's, that's got a kind of justice to it as well. Well, and that's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, my kids are going to take my collection, and, like, I, I know I have books that, if they were in pristine condition, would be worth thousands of dollars. In the condition I have them in, maybe hundreds. But it's like, they're not going to know that Amazing Spider-Man 363 is worth money. They're just going to know it's another goddamn Spider-Man comic in this box. And, like, I, I my, my best friend and I reconnected, and he was like, hey, do you still have the that run of Spider-Man you had when we were kids that you used to keep in a shoebox? Like, yeah. Can I borrow it? Sure, but it's kind of worth money, so, you know, be careful with it. And he's like, really? Your comics are worth money? I'm like, in theory. In theory, it's kind of worth money. Right. Like, the first Hobgoblin. Yeah, that's a couple hundred dollar book. My con the one I have and the condition I have it in, eh, it's a ten dollar book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's... I, mean, I remember when Eddie was 
was visiting and you know you were in the hotel and he's in the off white house and i was talking to him and he was like oh there's all these amazing things and i'm like yeah and someday they'll be yours forever and ever until they're somebody else's <laughs> that's the thing that's the thing you, you you can't you can't take it with you when uh when mike jones was here from uh, uh the, the guy that's uh, helping uh bill and nadine uh messner lobes um, he was uh, he was talking about visiting with uh, uh, Tom Orshikowski, who's who he's, he's he's been friends with for years, and uh, uh, Orshikowski uh, was getting what was it from working with Todd McFarlane? Um, he would get two hundred copies of each issue of Spawn when they came up. <laughs> and uh, Orzhikowski finally went, uh, no, you have to stop this. Just send me like 10, you know, the, the entire basement or whatever it is is, is filled up with, uh, with Spawn back issues. But the thing is, right around the time that he stopped getting the 200 was when the books were getting rare because the sales were going down so those are the ones that are going for good money, which is kind of my same theory with uh, with Cerebus in Hell. It's like, okay, you're you're pitching your hissy fits because uh, it's not it's not fitting with your politics, and uh, you know Dave Sim is ruining his legacy. Uh, every every month I put out a new Cerebus number one. It's only has only has half as many copies as the original service number one. I think that's going to show up in uh, in the balance bands somewhere up ahead. Probably not while I'm alive, but it'll be like you have a complete set of service in hell. How in the heck did you find a complete set of service in hell? So, and on that note, uh, we're going to wrap this up because I've been fasting all day. So I want to, I want to go and eat. Okay, that's fine. So now, 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 let's just clarify: Is this for real? The final, please hold, or are we just messing with Mike? I'm so glad we had this time together, just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started, and before you know it, comes the time we have to say. Have a good night, Pat. All right, Dave. Maybe next month, maybe not. <laughs>